Welcome to Jurassic World. Good morning guests, welcome to the Jurassic World Minute, where we visit Jurassic World one minute at a time. These animals aren't extinct anymore. I'm Brad. And I'm Dave. And then on this episode we'll be discussing Minute 23 of Jurassic World. Before we get to that, David, heading over to Jurassic-pedia.com. We have a full write-up here by Sickleclaw on the Raptor Paddock itself, and going back and looking at some of the uh, concept art and other shots from the uh, Raptor Paddock, um, mm. I have found that yes, there is an extended area out behind uh, the Raptor Pan, it's only small, uh, seemingly not as built as big in the mm -hmm. final in the final paddock as what concept art and that shows, but that that's it, that answers our question <laughs> about that missing section of the uh, paddock. And uh, over yep. here on Pedia, there is a big write-up on uh, the Raptors in there, um, all the scenes that take place there during the film. Um, we get a good shot there of uh, Barry with one of the Raptors I think it's blue in the uh, in the containment equipment, putting the muzzles and the uh, the cameras on them. Yeah. yeah the I always kind of thought this paddock uh, setup was really interesting, just because I mean it's all made out of Connex boxes, kind of just bolted together with some offshoot cages in a small kind of little compound area set up against the jungle, and it. This area seems like really kind of small and intimate and kind of small time. And I always kind of felt that this whole, the whole aesthetic of the entire area seemed really Jurassic Parkish, you know? Mm. Like, like, I could imagine this being something they would have built for the first movie, including the sloping lines of the uh, bolted areas, you know? Yep. Yeah, and just all the cages. And I, I do love how uh, most of the exterior shots of the cage, we do get... Um, there's always some vehicles or something parked nearby just to give it the scale. We um, we keep on saying about how small the space is, but it, it is a, a fairly large enclosure. Mm -hmm. There's one shot here of the, uh, the G-Wagon parked beside it. Later on when we uh, start getting into the... letting them go, we've got the Unimogs net parked beside it as well. So, so yeah... For uh, all info on the Raptor Paddock itself and uh, its role in the film, head over to Jurassic-pedia.com for that and more articles. Oh, you come here and you don't learn anything about these animals except what you want to know. You made them and now you think you own them. We do own them. Extinct animals have no rights. They're not extinct anymore, Hoskins. All right, Dave, good to go on minute 23. I am. As we enter the 22 of Jurassic World, 
Owen Tudor Hoskins for coming here and not learning anything about the animals. And just because you made them, you think you own them. As we open on minute 23, Hoskins retorts, we do own them. An extinct animal has no rights. Owen counters, they're not extinct anymore, Hoskins. Hoskins then goes on to tell Owen that we're sitting on a gold mine, but Mavrani's one of these animals to stock a petting zoo. At the 26 second mark, as they descend from the upper catwalks down to the ground level, after a lot of exposition by Hoskins, Owen laughs and says, how long has InGen been practicing this pitch? Hoskins replies, since we hired you out of the Navy. At the 34 second mark, as Hoskins is going on about saving troops, and Owen knowing the endgame, Owen opens the cage door and walks inside, locking it behind him. His only way of getting away from Hoskins. As Hoskins continues to try to convince Owen, in the background we can hear a pig squealing. And as the minute ends, Hoskins continues. War brings struggle. Struggle brings greatness. As we open on minute 23, we continue the dialogue from Hoskins, uh, the evil villain from last minute, telling Owen that uh, we do own them. Extinct, extinct animals have no rights. Well, they're actually anymore. No, they are not. Um, and they haven't been for a long time. But uh, Hoskins replies exactly, we're sitting on a gold mine here and Masroni is using it to stock a petting zoo. So again, further proof uh, from our discussion last minute that Masroni's, uh, that Hoskins is comparing what he's seeing here to what he's been seeing over at the petting zoo. <laughs> and, and thinking Owen, Owen is having a lot of success here. Yeah. There'd be a long time before we start seeing raptors in the petting zoo, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah. I don't think we'd ever see them in the petting zoo. <laughs> Not unless they have them all in that, uh, with that muzzle contraption thing they've got here, you know? I could, yeah, you, can, you can pet them, but it's going to be really, really stressful for them. I could see them all running around the pen with corks stuck on each claw. <laughs> Just so they're not sharp. But uh, Owen tells Hoskins that he just wants to teach people some humility and that he doesn't want to make weapons. And that's where we get a laugh out of Hoskins. You think the eighth richest man in the world is only into oil, techcom and family, or telecom and family fun parks? He's so diversified he doesn't even know what he owns, which is something which is... we definitely come back to later. Well, not only that, but I mean, we've. I was talking with a friend earlier today about how paramilitarized the entire engine security team is and because well he brought it up because he mentioned that he that he was uh kind of rolling his eyes as somebody who wanted to do biosyn army versus engine army which i mean yeah this is kind of an eye roll thing but yeah <laughs> it was um i would kind of mentioned how i never really considered the engine security team to be paramilitary and that i kind of figured the um the animal containment union unit was more that, but then he mentioned how on the Maserani site, the Maserani global site, the site actually calls the engine security team headed by Hoskins, a paramilitary force. Mm. Well, you definitely saw it later in the film where that, um, that team or team start arriving on the island in a lot of military vehicles. Um, even the guys in the chopper, they're, they're shooting pteranodons out of the sky, one shot, one kill. Um, they're not they're not just glorified security guards, they're, they're definitely ex-military. Yeah. I, was, I, 
I compared them to Pinkertons, which is a um, long-standing kind of paramilitary security force here in the United States. You can basically hire them for security for anything. Yep, yep. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of organizations like this sort of looking for those uh, service people leaving the armed forces that have uh, special talents <laughs> that, um, that can help out. But uh, here we're starting to see a different area, the Raptor Pen, Raptor Pen as well, sort of the cages where they're being housed and assume, presumably fed behind the uh, the main enclosure here. But and you can really see, start to see a bit of a different approach to the way um, the animals are being contained in these films compared to Jurassic Park. There doesn't appear to be any electric fences whatsoever. Um, everything's mm-hmm. steel bars and cages, which... You'd think it'd make it easier for the raptors to climb out if they get a purchase <laughs> on the wall. Yeah. I was thinking how in The Lost World, the raptors climb up the scaffolding on the high hide mm. to get to Eddie. And I'm just looking at that scaffolding uh, support strut in the center of the uh, <laughs> catwalks. And I'm thinking, oh, um, I'm surprised they haven't figured out how to how to get up that yet, you know? Masrani tells Claire earlier that the the animals always try and escape and he has to Mm -hmm. be smarter, but we don't... It's something else again. Jumping raptors, climbing raptors. Missed opportunity. We need to see that in Dominion, please. Even though we've presumably only got one raptor left. um. Well, the other thing is also is the... um, It might be a thing where... They never try the same plan twice. Where they, if they try, if they try a plan and it doesn't work, they um, just don't try it again. Because remember, that's something Muldoon mentioned in the first movie: is they never attack the same place twice. So it's possible they could have tried that like the first time, and the um, and Owen or not Owen's guys, but somebody came up to him and it was shock prods and started shocking him back down. And they didn't like that, so they didn't try it again, you know? Mm. Yeah, well, one thing we haven't mentioned, but we see here, and uh, as they're coming off the top of the cage, and uh, next minute when they're sort of talking beside the cage, there are armed guards sort of patrolling those top catwalks, mm-hmm. presumably keeping an eye on the raptors at all times, so not giving them the chance to, uh, like as we mentioned before, go off in the corner and start discussing how they're going to escape or get, yeah. up to, get up the hijinks. I was going to say, but we do, we will be seeing another escape attempt here coming up uh, starting, uh, I think, next minute and uh, next couple minutes after that. Mm. Yep. As they walk down the set of stairs to the uh, ground level, Owen asks Hoskins how long has InGen been practicing this pitch? And he replies, since the day you were hired out of the Navy, you knew the end game. These animals were replaced thousands of troops on the ground. How many lives would that save? Which, here, a little bit more backstory about Owen. He's a, we knew Masroni said there's a Navy man here. We know InGen hired him straight out of the Navy. Mm-hmm. And um, confirmation that he's actually employed by InGen. He's not just a civilian contractor or something like that. Mm-hmm. And also confirmation that he knew what the end game was. We've been discussing these last previous minutes if, uh, if he knows what the final plan for the Raptors was going to be. And here it seems he does. Mm-hmm. I think Owen knew what um, Hoskins wanted the end game to be, but he didn't want it to come to that, you know? Mm. I mean, I think he was hoping that at some point Masrani would kind of interject and say, okay, this has gone far enough. We're shutting the program down, you know? 
Yeah. Let's let's go let's go uh let's go open up a snack bar with these guys. <laughs> yeah. Well that's yeah, exactly, and that's where he sort of Owen's sort of he's not really talking much, he's sort of just trying to get away from Hoskins because he sort of knows that Hoskins right. Um and, you know, funnily enough, the only way he can get a bit of space between him and Hoskins is to go into the cage and close the door behind him <laughs> so he can't follow him anymore. Um and um, he looks at him the final time, sort of walks over to where that uh, containment equipment is with the raptors' heads going. And, uh, but Hoskins keeps on going. War is part of nature. Look around, Alan. Everything in this jungle is trying to murder the other. Mother Nature's way of testing her creations, refining the pecking order. War is a struggle. Struggle breeds greatness. Which, that line actually kind of reminds me of a concept that was heavily discussed in the second novel, about how most people, like Hoskins, imagine nature as red in tooth and claw, as the phrase goes. And then uh, it was Richard Levine brings up that nature is actually more green in leaf and stem. And it's kind of interesting how, because nature conflict doesn't drive evolution. It's, ad, it's adaptation to the environment that does. And the environment changes constantly in this kind of war between the things that do want to eat it. But at the same time, the other thing is, it's not always just because they want to eat it. It's so it's sex. It's what attracts a mate. It's anything to propagate the next generation, you know? Yeah. It's like, for example, Triceratops frills aren't, are, they were first assumed to be protection against T-Rex. But we know that what it was actually more likely for was ornamentation to display in mating rituals, just because the bigger, flashier male got the girl, you know? Yep. Yep, that's something we see all through the animal kingdom. Exactly. Deer, for example. The bigger the bigger the uh, the buck, the bigger the harem. Hmm. <laughs> It also does bring up a uh, interesting thing here too, with everything out in the jungles trying to murder the other. We yes, it's the tropics, um, offshore islands. It, it does bring up uh, having dinosaurs on the island probably isn't the, the only dangerous thing living on the islands. We notice snakes. Burke finds finds that out, um, and other sort of things that can kill you, eat you, or. Mm. Beat your insides for juju beads, but but uh, <laughs> it's thinking the same. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's something we don't. Well, I suppose the Lost World does, even though it's not the snake that does finally kill, kill. Yeah. Um, he just yeah. gets freaked out about it. Yeah, but, um, there are boa constrictors that we like. We see in the first movie. There's that boa constrictor that passes the uh, raptor's eye and that I'm sure eats small animals on the island mm. like uh, rat or I think there was a possum that was mentioned in the novel yep yeah just I mean, I'm sort of thinking to um, King Kong and Skull Island sort of thing too but that's more so a literal lost world where things are bigger and that sort of stuff There's mm-hmm. there's been no Oh, well, then we get that damn dragonfly in the first novel as well. <laughs> well, also in the novel, I mean, we know that there's howler monkeys on the mainland, and presumably apes do know how to swim, and 
if they could, I'm sure they would figure out a way to um, get to the offshore islands. There's maskless lizards that probably do the same thing. They st- they stow away on a human boat, get to the islands, and they form a breeding population. I mean, I'm sure that almost anything that is on the mainland, short of large apex predators like a jaguar or something like that, would probably be on Isla Nublar if the dinosaurs haven't eaten them all already. <laughs> well, that was a big thing with the original novel, the, the fact the raptors were eating rats, um, mm-hmm. and that's how they yeah, weren't noticing... We weren't starving, but yeah, it's safe to assume that any life that was on that island, naturally that island become an island because of the rising seawaters uh, cancelling off or cutting off any land bridges and then evolving in their own little way. It's how a lot mm-hmm. of uh, a lot of islands and that sort of stuff around the world have their own ecosystems. Mm-hmm. Well, also, I think, isn't, I believe Isla Nublar is, and same with the, um, same with the Les Cingomortes archipelago are both volc- well Isla Nublar itself is a volcanic sea mount, but Los Cingomortes is a um is an extinct volcanic archipelago like Hawaii. Mm. It's just the it's just the um plate tectonics move the island away from the uh the move the islands away from the vent and so the the volcano basically the big island is the newest island so in this case Isla Sorna would be the would be the youngest island of that extinct archipelago and the uh, plate tectonics are slow the Pacific plate is slowly shifting it away from the ocean from the um, source of the volcanic activity and eventually those islands in a couple million years will disappear yeah well, yeah, you'd have to uh, you'd have to set a prequel ten million years ago to see what happened, what come first. Yeah. Did the uh, did the islands come up out of the ocean, or did the ocean rise to cut off the land bridge? Well, I think it's presumed because the islands are volcanic in nature that these were volcanic seamounts like the Hawaiian Islands. Yeah, which then makes you wonder if it's the only reason non-flying animals are there is because the humans transported them mm-hmm. there. I, I've got no idea. <laughs> the, the whole Hawaiian... I know there's a vast wildlife on Hawaii. I'd imagine most of that's because of human interaction and not nature. Well, there's that, and, like, yeah, I mean, even birds, uh, they capture a snake on the mainland, and they see the island to land, and they live on the island. They're bringing it back to the chick, but yeah. the snake wriggles free, Yep. and it gets dropped on the island, and it survives. And then the, the bird goes back for another one and drops the second one. And that one just so happens to be a female. There you go. Snake population. Yep. Yep. Now, long long tangent short, back in back <laughs> when the film came out in theaters, I was, I was wondering if this was a uh, hint at maybe there was some wild stuff still on the island that we hadn't seen yet. And unfortunately, that's never <laughs> never addressed again. But um... Uh, I, I definitely know that there was expectations of wild raptors in the movie through uh, before the movie came out, and they just never delivered. Yeah. Especially with the whole restricted section and people assuming, oh, there's got to be wild dinosaurs out there. Mm. When in reality, I mean, it's probably just, as his name, name says, restricted access from the public, authorized personnel only, you know? Yeah, yeah, well, we get lighter of even the... the... Presumably the perimeter fence there is mainly just to stop the herbivores wandering further into mm-hmm. that zone and 
but then now on with and people too. I mean, yeah. you see the two guards there at that at the gate. So presumably, like I said, it's authorized access only. You probably have to have a passcode like Owen and, or Claire would have to get past that point. I can't wait till we get to that minute. <laughs> Some stuff to discuss there. Um, or the the boys going off road. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, Owen, Owen sh- um, taking his rifle off his shoulder and saying it's just like a stroll in the park six five million years ago. Like, Yes, they know the Indominus is out there, but what else does he think's out there as well in that restricted area? But, but as, as the minute ends, too, um, Owen's sort of... Well, Hoskins has sort of got Owen's attention back with that dialogue, and uh, we can also start to hear the pig squealing in the background, which is it a hint at what's to come next minute. Um, over at the uh, novel comparisons, everything, everything is pretty much word from word for the script here, so nothing new to add from the novel. David, that's minute 23. Ready to get heavy for the day. Sure.